grandfather said to my father very pointedly, don't you forget, we were the first people to set foot on American soil. Of course, referring to the pilgrims. And my father, who has Native American Pueblo bloodlines, said to my grandfather, and we were here to meet you when you did. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Radio Lab 201. This is the podcast at Benjamin Franklin High School. I'm your host, Angelo Fernando, coming out of the computer lab because this is the place where I guess I could say I experiment with all things. Today, I'm really doing some crazy experimentation. I have a podcast recorder connected to a big microphone, which is getting phantom power from the recorder. I'm connected to another microphone that's plugged into my computer using a USB port, but most interesting on the line is former colleague, friend of mine, Steve DeGeorge, who's on a Google Meet call, and this podcast has been recorded into the Hindenburg software, so lots of crazy intermixes of hardware and software, and as I said, and I tell my students, hey, this is a lab. If we don't do experiments here, where else would you do that? So welcome, Steve. Thank you, Angelo. Uh, you know, what, what a pleasure to be a guinea pig. <laughs> yes, you are the first guinea pig in my uh, writing and publishing class podcast, and this is uh, even beyond that. I mean, this is for me a proof of concept that we can do this, and I can then show students how to do this. So thank you for being part of that experiment. So, okay, thank you for making time. Now, let me just give you a, a background to this. Steve DeGeorge uh, has been a long-time uh, communications manager, director at ASU. I worked alongside him. I was in the main campus in Tempe, and Steve was on the in the West Campus. And that time, we used to sort of meet uh, in different stages. So we learned a lot from each other. What I wanted to do with Steve is something different. It's not about... Uh, education or ASU, what I really want to talk to Steve is about research. No, not dry research or poll numbers. It's research that digs up the past, ancestral research, rich in conflict and head-scratching events, research into the history of this nation, pilgrims and patriotism, that kind of research. It's really about stories when you think about it. Research, uh, in the end, is all about digging up data, which uh, tends to give us a better picture of what happened, a storyline. I've been doing some ancestral excavation myself, but about a family in a different part of the world. You see, my ancestors were pearl fishermen off the south coast of India. They came across not in ships, but in small boats, catamarans. They were some of the early immigrants who registered as citizens of Ceylon, as Sri Lanka was then called. So that's why I found Steve's story interesting. But Steve's research is fascinating. He's been pulling up records, court and baptismal records, that show his family has a direct link to the Mayflower. Yes, that Mayflower. A rugged ship that took 60 days for its voyage from London to Plymouth. I'll let Steve pick up the story from here. I've always been interested in history, um, and particularly American history. Um, as 
I went through uh, my years at, at Arizona State as a communicator and a director. Um, I actually enrolled in graduate courses um, at ASU in interdisciplinary studies. And at the end of the degree program, uh, we were required to submit a thesis or a dissertation. And what I worked on was a biography or a profile of my great-grandfather, um, who was a U.S. territorial judge in Alaska. Uh, his name was Edward Cushman. And as I got into Edward Cushman and talked to my mom about my great-grandfather, her grandfather, um, I learned more and more about the past of the Cushman family. My mom's maiden name is Cushman. And what I learned was a certain Robert Cushman, who was born in 1577 in England, was an agent to the Pilgrims while they were both in England and in Holland. And he was one of the people who put together, the, negotiated for the ship, negotiated for uh, grants, negotiated for patents, um, and then were responsible for the foodstuffs, provisions, et cetera, et cetera. So as I, as I learned more about my great-grandfather, I learned more about Robert Cushman, who is 14 generations before me. Wow, 14 generations. But the, the fact of the matter is, Robert Cushman is not a household name. People don't recognize his name as when we talk about the Mayflower. But you can now go back 500 and, I don't know, 40 years or something and trace your ancestry to this man who made that voyage or those voyages possible right and you know i can go back what what, what i've been able to do through the research and um it, you know i haven't done the ancestry.com type research i have relied on some genealogies of the cushman family that have been done prior to me um, but you can't really you have to be very very careful um, relative to the research you do, that one, it's coming from a credible source, and two, that you can actually confirm what you're reading. There are some genealogies in the Cushman family where the dates conflict, uh, there are certain facts that are left out, and so as I considered those, I felt very, very strongly that it wasn't a source I could use because for me it was not a reliable source but i've been able to go back that 400 plus years and through official records through court records through marriage records through baptismal records and then as he gets into his work on behalf of the pilgrims um, you have a whole lot more documentation because you have letters that have been written by Robert Cushman um, to William Bradford. You have letters from their, the pastor of the church, John Robinson, back to Cushman. So now there's a lot of documentation and it's much easier to put him in a place and a time. Interesting. So just to make uh, it clear to listeners, 
I did this podcast because I want to focus on the research part, not just, just the fact that it's a nice ancestral story. And I like the way you're going into this, diving into this, you know, almost anticipating questions I have, because you're saying you're talking about verifiable facts. You're talking about sources. You know, it, it could be as if I'm talking to a journalist right now, because when I talk to a media person, and I did a podcast with a media person, you know, that's exactly how they talk. You can't really report on something unless you have two or three uh, sources of information and uh, uh, two or three levels of confirmation of those facts. You're not even publishing this for, you know, the news, but you're still so intent on making sure that your sources are are good. So you seem like you have a good research background, right? I mean, how, how seem like you've done research like this before? Well, this is probably the deepest research I've done. But, and, and one, I want to go back and um, your comparison to journalism, I think, is spot on. Um, uh, one, of, one of my sources is a gentleman by the name of Michael Pollack. Uh, Michael lives in the Bay Area, and um, his knowledge of the pilgrims and the research he done, he's done, um, boy, it's just it, it's almost unsurpassed. But I bring up Michael Pollack not only as a great source of inspiration to me and an encouragement in my work, but also because when you talk to Michael Pollack, he'll tell you, Steve, I'm not really a researcher. I'm not really a historian. What I am is a reporter. Oh. And, and so going back to your comment about being a journalist or this being a journalism or journalistic effort, um, again, I think you're spot on. Stay with us when we get into that level of research, when he talks about patents and about the pilgrims and about so much more. This is the deepest research I've done. I've been helped by a number of people who are very familiar with the pilgrims, have written about the pilgrims. Uh, there's a gentleman uh, who's been very, very helpful um, in Plymouth, Massachusetts, a gentleman by the name of Richard Pickering, uh, who is the assistant director of Plymouth Colony, which is a living museum. So he's living the pilgrims every day, and, and he's been very helpful as well. Interesting. So the uh, facts that you're digging up, and you've already written up some things, and uh, you shared some of these things with me. Now, uh, I want to go back into that. You refer to some details which, again, I don't know much about, and I think uh, listeners may not have heard much about that famous Pierce patent, you call it, right? The Pierce patent. Yes. So can you explain what the Pierce patent means to the Mayflower? Sure. So the pilgrims um, originated in England at a time when there was a lot of religious turmoil. You know, you can certainly trace it to Martin Luther in the early 1500s, Henry VIII in the mid 1500s. And then as you have a succession of monarchs, you have different religious doctrines in England where the pilgrims originated. What the pilgrims sought first and foremost was what they called a true church, a church that mirrored identically the gospel and the way Christianity was taught 
by Jesus to his disciples. It was out without the fanfare, the what they called the popery, the the ceremony, the uh, the accoutrements, the accessories. Um, so they were seeking a level of religious freedom that drove them out of their motherland. They went to Holland, where there was greater religious freedom. And then from Holland, they made the decision to go to the new world because it was a new world. It was untapped. There would be religious freedom. And they had a population of Native American or indigenous people that they believed they could convert to Christianity. So those things combined to make the new world uh, an attractive destination. Before they could do that, they needed a land patent or a land grant to occupy land in the new world. They went to the Virginia Company of London, said this is what we want to do. They didn't want to put a pilgrim's name on it. They came up with a gentleman by the name of John Wincup, who was sympathetic to the pilgrims, allowed them to use the name on the patent. They got the patent in John Wincup's name. Wincup died, so John Pierce was the next person in line who allowed them to use his name on the patent that allowed them to occupy the land that they occupied. And there was actually a second Pierce patent because the first Pierce patent was specific to an area on the East Coast that the Pilgrims missed. They missed their original landing spot. So when they landed outside of the Pierce patent boundaries, they got word back to England, a new or second Pierce patent was created and Robert Cushman brought that over to Plymouth Colony in 1621. Interesting. I hope I haven't confused you and and, and I have to tell you when, when you say I'm not that familiar with it, 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 it's not a disappointing thing for me to hear because I believe that the audience I'm looking for are people who are not familiar with Cushman and maybe even not intimately familiar with the Pilgrim experience. Yes, this was a 66-day journey, right, on those ships. And uh, here we are, we complain that it takes uh, 36 hours from uh, door to door, but uh, 66 days is uh, a different ballgame. And uh, hearing you talk about those documentation and the details uh, makes it a real story. It's not just a, a old piece of history. It's, it's real. It's life. In fact, uh, you know what, reading through and listening to you, it seems like Robert Cushman was a kind of, I don't want to make it sound bad, but he sounds like a wheeler dealer who, who had his, his uh, talents for many different things, communications and, and uh, legal, legality and uh, persuasion and all of that, right? He, uh, you know, it's very interesting. He, he, as far as we know, was not formally educated. Uh, but 
he obviously, and, and many of his contemporaries, many of his pilgrim associates, when they would describe or refer to Cushman, they would talk about his business acumen, they would talk about his abilities as a negotiator. And so while he, as far as we know, did not receive any formal education, he was a man who was absolutely right for the pilgrims, right for the times, right for the assignment at hand. He was, in fact, a pilgrim. He was a deacon in the church. Um, he was a very, very spiritual man. So. It wasn't like he had seen or heard of an opportunity and came to the pilgrims with a business proposition. He was someone among their congregation who was perceived as being most capable to represent them in the many negotiations and processes they had to go through. Yes, yes, definitely. He was. And, and there were there were other, um, you know, when when you talk about, you know, you don't want to refer to him as as a wheeler dealer. There there may have been that element. I think there has to be that element. But he worked hand in glove with a gentleman who was a wheeler dealer and and really a con artist. The two of them worked side by side. His name was Thomas Weston. Um, and Weston was absolutely in it for the opportunity to make money uh, and eventually had a falling out with pilgrims. And uh, so Cushman was probably, you know, if, if, if the two of them were to sit with you in a room and you were asking um, qualifications and trying to get a feel for their ability to represent you in a business deal, I think that. I'd like to think that you would pick Cushman every time. Yes, yes. I want to bring you back to something that you said in your document, which is really interesting about your, you know, your grandparents uh, discussing this story about <laughs> Cushman's, right? And I want you to narrate it because that you say it so aptly. But before that, I, I'm reading something from which uh, you're quoting Wiles Cushman, right? He was the son? Henry Wiles Cushman. No, he was probably he was probably closer to ninth or tenth generation. Oh, I see. He was a lieutenant governor of Massachusetts in the 1850s, and he wrote a full-blown, very large genealogy of the Cushman family, beginning with Robert Cushman, and ending, you know, in here in Henry Wiles Cushman's time, which was 18, I think the book was, the genealogy was published in 1852. So it went up to that time. And can you uh, read, I don't know if you have that in front of you, where he says that uh, this is his version of history and he he's apologizing if he didn't get it right because of the... Information uh, that was um, that was a gentleman, and that was Edward Winslow. Um, and Edward Winslow was a pilgrim who was uh, very much a leader um, of the colony for years and years. Um, and I, I actually can find that if you have one second. Uh, Edward Winslow, in one of the books he wrote about the pilgrim experience, in his introduction, 
he wrote, except I pray you, my weak endeavors, pardon my unskillfulness and bear with my plainness in the things I have handled. And I think that uh, I use that as an introduction um, in what I'm writing as just uh, as a way of saying, this is my best representation of Robert Cushman, little known, little recognized pilgrim. Um, and I, I hope it suffices and informs. Yes, definitely. So let's get to that uh, other piece of uh, family history while we, before we wrap up. And that's, uh, you were telling me about the discussion at the dinner table with, between your grandparents. It's such a quaint thing, and uh, I think that's a great way to end this story by talking about how you go back to where we started. How did you get into this research? Because you remembered something. Can, can you tell us that? Right. So the Cushmans are, you know, the Cushmans are on my mother's side of the family. And uh, I can remember um, as a child in grade school, and, and it's just one of those memories that you have of being in the living room at our home uh, and my father having a very heated conversation with my grandfather, my, my mother's father. Um, and they were arguing back and forth. I'm not sure exactly what the subject was, but my grandfather said to my father very pointedly, don't you forget, we were the first people to set foot on American soil. Of course, referring to the pilgrims. And my father, who has Native American Pueblo bloodlines, said to my grandfather, and we were here to meet you when you did. And I just, I remember that. I don't know that I even knew what they were talking about, but as I look back on it, I think, wow, this was a little uh, inter-family, intergenerational um, tete-a-tete, if you will. And, and uh, as I look back on it today, it's, uh, it's humorous. It's humorous, but it, it so interesting because I would say that is probably one of the seeds that were planted in your brain and made you you know, turned you turned out to be somebody who dug into this piece of history, which uh, for generations has been lying around, you know, in plain sight, hidden from the public. And, and I would I would venture this as well. That conversation is um, a a great reflection on the complexity of the issue and the fact that there are two sides to every story. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. Yes, two sides to every story. You seem to master at bringing this back to the original topic because that's where we also started. We said research is a lot like uh, reporting or at least journalism and fact-finding for research seem like they're born out of the same uh, genetic material. So thank you so much for enlightening me and I'm hoping... This will be enlightening for my students, some of whom might be in, are in this class and some of whom might be following them in, into the next year's class. So thank you, Steve. Um, Angelo, it's my pleasure. And I would, I would just close it out. Uh, again, I've been very, very 
uh, fortunate to have some very good, very knowledgeable people behind me. But I also know that in this particular case, technology has been a big part of making this come true just relative to the sources that you can find on the internet. Um, and if you just keep digging and let one hint, let one clue take you to the next step, um, it may lead to more steps, but in the end, you may come up with a nugget of information that is either critical to the story or that no one before you has been able to find. So it's fascinating. It's fascinating in trying to put together someone's life 400 years after the fact. Um, it's very, very interesting. Yes, definitely. It's very interesting, and I think it's a very, very useful area to be in, to be a fact finder and a researcher. So thank you so much, Steve. With this, I want to close and say thank you for listening to Radio Lab 201, the podcast out of Benjamin Franklin High School. This is Angelo Fernando signing off. 